This is a busy time of year. We're going to start by just talking a little bit about Advent. You see, we had a great introduction to Advent. We had a great song here as well. And we lit the candle. But what does it all mean? Now, Kristen gave us a great introduction about some of the basics. But I hope we can go a little bit deeper in this. Because many of you might be like me. Like me, I say, I did not grow up in the church. I really was not a regular attender, attender of a church service until seventh grade. In my elementary years, I was lucky if we got to go on Christmas, on Easter, when we had those special holidays and my mom would win. And if some of you know what that means, why my mom would win. My parents would argue about it, my dad would rather stay home, do the yard work, do the chores, the work on the house, whatever. But every once in a while, my mom would win, and we'd get to go. It was a good time. Maybe some of you are that way today. Well, I'm glad you're here, and we welcome you here. If you're a visitor, please find one of us. Just introduce yourself to somebody. We'd love to get to know you a little bit. But I didn't grow up in a liturgical church or with a liturgical calendar with these routine things that we did throughout the year. And many people today are the same way. Many people hear Advent or the Advent season, and they just think Christmas. And that's partially a good thing. Okay, well, they're connecting the dots. Advent, Christmas, they go together. But they don't really think about the Christ side of things. They just say, oh, it's time for Christmas lights. It's time for the Christmas tree. It's time for presents and get-togethers and holiday parties. And there's so much more to it. So, some people may know that the Advent season focuses on the expectation. And they think that it serves as an anticipation of Christ's Birth, leading up to Christmas. And for the most part, this is correct. As Kristen shared with us, the word Advent in her family, thank you. The word Advent is derived from the Latin word Adventus, meaning coming. Some people say not just coming, but the great anticipation of his coming. Or some people say the waiting period, as they're waiting for Christ's return or to be born comes from the Greek word perusia. Scholars believe that during the 4th or 5th centuries in Spain, Advent was a season of preparation for baptism of new Christians at the January Feast of Epiphany, the celebration of God's incarnation represented by the visit of the Magi to the baby Jesus, his baptism by John the Baptist, and his first miracle, miracle in Cana. I don't look a lot of this stuff up, and I'm really just trying to explore and dive into what all is Advent. Because it's not something we, we study all year long. It's not something we do all year long. We don't focus on this one word and what it means to us. We may think about the topic of hope weekly. We think about the topic of hopelessness as Satan tries to deceive us. Here's a little more that I found. During the season of preparation... Christians would spend 40 days in penance, prayer, and fasting to prepare for the celebration. But here's a very important factor. In the beginning of this, uh, Advent and Christmas were not really related. It was just something that they did. But by the 6th century, by the 6th century, Roman Christians had tied Advent to the coming of Christ. But by saying the coming of Christ, they didn't have in mind Christ's first coming but instead his second coming. Because again, Kristen had helped you understand earlier. There were two different comings of Christ that they would celebrate. 
the coming they had in mind was not Christ's first coming in the manger of Bethlehem, but his second coming in the clouds as the judge of the world. It was not until the Middle Ages that the Advent season was explicitly linked to Christ's first coming at Christmas. Today, today Advent is celebrated much differently. Today, Advent is celebrated for four weeks, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. So, as you see before us, Advent, we have hope, peace, joy, love in Christ. Up until Christmas Day, we're going to be focusing a lot on Christmas. But not just on Christmas cookies and Christmas caroling, which I hope you come, I hope you come to, and the new Auburn Christmas choir tonight. But we're going to be focusing on what is the Advent and what does it mean to have hope, to have peace, to have joy, to have love, and as we wrap up on Christmas Eve, we'll be talking about Christ. Just Christ. Because He's all that matters to us. He's the one that brings us all of these things together. Advent symbolizes the present situation of the church in these last days. You see, we are like Exodus. In Exodus, we are in exile. We're waiting and we're hoping and praying for Christ's return. But when he comes, he'll be coming much differently than before. He won't be miraculously conceived and born of a virgin and living this perfect life to die upon the cross. But instead, he'll be coming in the clouds for us. The there's a great Advent hymn that was sang this morning, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This is a great song to just illustrate our feelings today. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. While Israel would have sung this in expectation of his first coming, we sing it in a different way. We sing it in celebration that he did come. But we also sing it upon three other comings. But I want to specify here. There's two specific comings that we generally talk about when we talk about the coming of Christ. I want to stretch your minds a little bit. So we've already talked about the coming of Christ as a baby. Talk about the coming of Christ as he comes in the clouds for us. The triumphant entry. But we also have the more spiritual coming of Christ into your life. So I want to tell you that there's multiple comings. There's physical comings. There's spiritual comings. The hope candle was lit today. It reminds us of the hope that these comings bring to us, both God's people then, now, and in the future. We may, we may now hope of eternal life, but not just eternal life on this earth, full of evil and Satan's spiritual powers working against us, but we're able to have hope in spending an eternity with God in heaven, worshiping Him. As we talk about this communion. What a wonderful thing. Hope. What a powerful word. And in 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5, we read this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You have this hope within you if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I always make sure, I, I try to make sure that I connect those two, Lord and Savior, that come together, you see, because you can't just 
trust Jesus as your Savior, but not submit to Him with your life. You must give God your life. You can't just say, thank you, Lord, I want, I want you as my Savior, but I'm going to keep on going about my life however I please. I want to do all these things like the world. What is hope? In a world full of hopelessness, you see, we have choices in life. Many choices in life, and Satan the deceiver wants to depict this false picture of hopelessness. He's a roaring lion looking to devour you. But there's no such thing as hopelessness once you believe in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Once you realize that the Lord your God created you to have a relationship with Him. It's our sin that gets in the way. It's Satan that gets in the way. But that hope never leaves. That hope is always there if you look to God. God is still in control. There may be a lot of scripture which talks about the evil of the world. That talks about Satan and his spiritual powers. But there's even more scripture that talks about God and his power. And we serve a mighty God. The God who split the sea, healed the blind and the mute. And the God who sent his son to die for you. We must not get so focused on evil and death and destruction of the world that we fail to see this hope. Psalm 37, 27 tells us, Depart from evil and do good, so you will abide forever. Philippians 1, 20 to 21 tells us, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have complete boldness, so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body. Whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You see, Satan wants to give us this picture of hopelessness. But God's word, God's will, shows us there's no such thing as hopelessness if you trust in God for your hope. For in Christ alone, we find that hope. In God, we find that hope. We struggle with thoughts in life like, where is God? Why does God allow these things? And we sometimes get overburdened with these thoughts as neighbors and friends that we try and share the gospel with ask us these things. But sometimes we think too deeply. Sometimes there's thoughts that we're not meant to try and figure out to comprehend. Because God's word also tells us that his ways are deeper than our ways. His thoughts are deeper than our thoughts. We are dumb in comparison to God. There's no way we could ever begin to comprehend his mind. We need to serve Him. We need to realize, though, that God has never left us. At least if He is your Lord and Savior, He's never left you. He's right there waiting on you. So I debated whether or not to do this, but I really want to show you a powerful video clip today. So bear with me. I'm going to show you a video. I'll make a point not to show you a video weekly or regularly, but I want you to see this today because it sends chills down my spine. It's a great illustration of God's love for us. Thank you. 
birth of Jesus creates hope. From the beginning of time, we said God created us to have a relationship with him. It's not God that gets in the way of our relationship with him. It's us that gets in the way of our relationship with him. It's our sin that gets in the way of our relationship with him. Our hope comes from God because he is faithful. And he is the one who created us and saves us. In Psalm 62, 5 to 8, we read, Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. O oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. We must look beyond ourselves, the world, and look to Christ to try to truly find this hope. You see, Jesus is passionate about you. But are you really passionate about Him? What are you doing to serve Him and to glorify Him? What are you doing for God? Now, I'm not saying you're not going to have struggles. We all will. And that's why we need a reminder of this candle, of this hope that the birth of Jesus gave us. Both back then, to his people, to now and to the future, we have this hope. All because of him. There's a song that I like that says, My life is in you. My life is in you, Lord. My strength is in you, Lord. My hope is in you, Lord. In you, it's in you. I praise you with all of my life. I praise you with all of my strength. With all of my life, with all of my strength, all of my hope is in you. We're going to turn back to Luke chapter 1, 26 to 38. As we look to the life of Mary, as we begin our journey into the Christmas season of Advent, and we look to an example of how do we find our hope in uncertain times. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. It's so important to read introductions to see what's being set up, what's going on in this picture. And already we see some very important details, such as Mary is a virgin. Mary is betrothed, promised, pledged to a man, but that means they're not yet married. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, and the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Can you imagine what that would be like to all of a sudden have an angel appear before you and start talking to you? I think I would be troubled as well and wondering, oh no, what is going on in my life? I'd probably, after he tells me, do not be troubled, I'd probably have to have him lift, help lift me up off the floor and I would just be in a, in a spot of respect and humbleness and scared of the presence of God's angel and his will. But it goes on. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This was a great honor to be able to take part in this prophecy of Jesus being conceived and born of a virgin. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? You see, when we're in uncertain times, when we're trying to look for hope, 
We often question and we want to know all the details. I know that's how I am at least. I'm always looking for the details. And when something goes as it's not planned, it really throws me off. And I begin to be troubled. Although Mary and God's people were looking forward to this day, I can only imagine what she might have been feeling as she found out that she was about to give birth to a baby. And she, she's not even married yet. She's a virgin. Most tradition, if you look into the story of the, the birth of Jesus, in archaeological findings, traditions passed down, history passed down, most historians and scholars believe that the general age for marriage and for bearing children of that day was approximately 13 to 14 years of age. Now, I'm no scholar, but I will say that that is crazy to think of. So not only is Mary, if that's true, a virgin, unmarried, but she's 13 to 14 years old. Can you put yourself in that place and think, what would that be like? So this, this week I had a man stop by my office and talk to me about, about abortions and pregnancy centers and starting up a local chapter to help people, to show them hope and show them in uncertain times you can still find hope in God. But it comes down to more than that. It comes down to helping those people ourselves as well and allowing God to work through us to help them. There's so many things in your life which can cause a feeling that you there's just no hope. Maybe it's a loss of a job or a loved one. Maybe it's things not going your way in life and just in general. There's so many things, but we see a great thing here with Mary, which helps us to find a sure way to find hope in troubled times. We're going to skip forward just a little bit, but we see that she was a virgin, unmarried, young, and unprepared. I say unprepared not because she wasn't prepared for God to work through her, but because she wasn't expecting this to be her. And not only would she be having a baby, but the Son of God, Emmanuel, and the future Savior. I'm sure all of you can imagine how, how surprised you'd be, how shocking you'd be for God to be telling you, you are going to bear the Son of God. You're going to raise the Son of God. And although it's an amazing, respectful, humbling, honoring act, you too would feel like you need to find hope. Wow, how am I going to do this? But Mary had a great thing. One of the next words she said was, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. That's what I want to focus on. As we wrap this up, and I say, give you three points is we need to learn a lesson from Mary on finding hope in troubled times. If we look a little bit further into Luke chapter 1, 47 to 55, we see Mary's song of praise. And this was soon after. It wasn't immediately, immediately after. Mary went and visited Elizabeth. But we see this whole act that Mary made herself a servant of God. Mary was honored. She was humbled. She was probably shocked and surprised too. But she served God and she knew that God would provide all she needed, that God would work through her. But here's what we read. Luke 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And I don't have this up there. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. 
For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty <coughs> thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has seen sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Back to the beginning. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. We can find hope in this world as we look to God. If we magnify Him, we glorify Him, we rejoice in Him. We don't look to the hopelessness that the devil wants us to see, that Satan wants us to be deceived by, but we remember that God has already created a way for us to have hope. And the hope is only found in Christ. In Christ alone we find the hope. Just as that video showed, Satan will throw lots of things in your way. But it's not God that takes away that hope, it's us Stepping after the sins of the world and stepping after the sins that God doesn't want us to go after. But if we go after God's will, we will find that hope and He will provide for us. It doesn't matter if it's an unmarried woman being, being pregnant with a child or if it's somebody losing a job or a loved one. If we look to Christ, He will give that hope and He will provide. And whether it be in this life or the next, we will be victorious as we're reminded so number one, as we see and as we wrap up what Mary has to tell us, the first and second coming of our Savior has already come. Jesus was miraculously conceived, born of a virgin, and lived a perfect life to die on the cross as our Savior. So number one in finding hope is do you know Christ as your Savior? <coughs> Have you recognized these two comings? Of our Savior and Lord and the coming. I know once the physical coming of Christ be born, conceived miraculously, born miraculously of a virgin, and through the spiritual coming into your life as your Lord and Savior. Do you know that that's who He is? Do you know that He brings you life and hope? Number two is we must remember that He never leaves you. Turn to Him. Magnify Him and rejoice in Him your Savior. Just as Mary rejoiced in Him as, as her Savior, Mary remembered how mighty He was. We remember how mighty He is still today and forevermore. You may be scared or cautious of the details, but there's still hope to be found in Jesus and Christ alone. And then lastly, number three, is live confidently with the hope found in Christ alone. In Christ alone, that's where the hope is found. That's why this candle is lit to remember this first week of hope is all because Christ came was born, conceived miraculously of a virgin to restore that hope, to restore that relationship through the cross for us. The next slide reminds us of some lyrics to a song. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, Formed through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Hearing the love of Christ I stand. As the worship team prepares to sing our final song and focus us as we leave, I'd like everybody to repeat after me in this next slide. To remember that in Christ alone is where it comes. 
So if you could all follow me, read with me. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God, and helpless saved, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Though on that cross, on Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ.